Alright, open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians. I want to just say before we get going, I really deeply appreciate Nate's announcements are not just announcements. That what he shares, he the Lord puts things on his heart. That was filmed well before the storm, and I think that was prophetic. Uh, what, what the Lord spoke through you, Nate, about not trusting in our own strength and what we can do. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, that's powerful. Uh, we're continuing our series where we're primarily uh, going to be looking in Galatians chapter 5. And there's a scene from the Pink Panther movie uh, with uh, Inspector Clouseau, uh, which uh, it's, it's funny because I'm trying to do a bad impersonation of someone doing a bad impersonation of a French, French accent, I know. But uh, he's like, an hamburger. You know, I want an hamburger. Um, but uh, in one of the scenes, he walks into this uh, German hotel and there he notices this small dog by the counter and he asks... Uh, the, the, the hotel manager, he says, does your dog bite? And the guy says, no. And so he reaches out to pet the little dog, and the little dog viciously attacks his hand and trying to bite it off. And it's just, he's fighting this dog off. Ah, it's just horrible. This dog attacks him. He says, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. And he says, that's not my dog. Um, so... Uh, Sometimes we get bit and we didn't want to get bit. Um, you know, we, there's the viral video of, uh, the, you know, the little kid whose brother bit his finger, right? And uh, what is, What's his name? Charlie. Charlie bit my finger. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're getting all the accents today. I didn't even plan that. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, there's times where we get bit and we didn't want to be bit. And, uh, and there's unwelcome bites. And today we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about uh, Christian cannibalism. Uh, as we spend time in, in here in Galatians chapter 5, we're keeping one eye on Paul and what he was saying to the Galatian church, but we're also focusing on Jesus and what he wants to say to us today in the church in 2023 and what he is expressing, wants us to understand as we walk through this time. You see, uh, there's, there, we're, here we're looking at, we're reading a, a, a book, a letter that was written to a certain people in their context, right? In their, to their culture, to their experience. And Paul is writing something to, to them specifically. But, but here we sit in the 21st century and, and we have the unchanging truth of the gospel and how it plays out in their world and how it is just as true in our final days in the church age church today. And, uh, and as we get ever closer to the return of Christ, and so this unchanging truth is just as true to us today as it is to them, but we need to understand it in our context and what's going on. So last time we met together, we talked about the stern warning that Paul gave about adopting extra additions to the gospel that they had received. They received the gospel with joy because it was freedom. But then people came in afterwards and they said, but wait, there's more, like a late night infomercial, right? And you've got to take on all these other rules and laws and you've got, got to have these surgical things done. And, and, it, and they added all these things to the gospel. And so Paul writes them a, a very stern warning to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, if you want to open your Bibles there, we'll start there. Paul says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
So here we're talking this series simple. We're talking about the simplicity and the purity of the gospel is this. We've got to hold on to the simplicity and purity of what it is. They had received freedom from slavery to the law. Liberty through salvation. It was freely given. And let me tell you, we cannot add anything to Christ without subtracting Christ. It's impossible to add anything to Christ without then subtracting Christ, is what Paul is saying there. A little algebra for you to start your morning. You're like, Pastor Brent, this is too early. Stick with me. Commitment to Jesus has to be the sole source of our salvation. It can't be wavering. It can't be 50-50. It can't be Jesus plus something else. We've got to stand firm in it, as Paul said. Solid in it. There's a story of Harriet Tubman. She was bringing the slaves to freedom through the Underground Railroad to the north. And on one of her trips, one of, then, then the possibility of getting caught or killed or anything else. So he says, I'm going to turn back. And this would have put the entire operation at risk, the entire Underground Railroad at risk. Because the stops would have been revealed and, and the movements would have been revealed. So Harriet pulled out her revolver and pointed it right at his head. And she said to him, you either go to freedom or you die. And a few days later... That whole group, including that man, safely passed into Canada. It was a line she drew in the sand. It is not either or. It's not I'm going a little bit of the ways. It's got to be fully to freedom or nothing. Fully to freedom or nothing. Full commitment. No turning back. No halfway dedication. Galatians 5.13, the first part of the verse says this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity then for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, the word opportunity Paul uses here is the Greek noun, uh, aphame. And aphame, uh, if you look up in the Strong's Concordance, it, the, the definition it gives is this. A place from which a movement or attack is made, it's a base of operations. A base of operations. So we have this freedom from Christ. We've received it. We're holding on to it. He says, but don't take that freedom and then use it as a base of operations, a a launching pad for which we can justify continuing to live in sin. So you've been set free. This does not mean then we have this base of operations, this place from which we can build up a, 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 a place where we can say, I can be free to sin. I'm set free from the law so I can engage in gratifying my flesh. Paul warns, that's not what this is talking about. You see, we have been given freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Big difference. Freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Standing firm in freedom doesn't mean you stay the same person that you are today. We are on a journey towards sanctification, being made more and more like Christ. And so as we engage in this, our freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. Jesus didn't do his work on the cross so that we might sin more, but so that we may be set free from our sin. Paul challenges this. He talks to the church about this. He says, should I say that since because you've been set free, we should sin more and more so that God's grace might abound even more? Of course not. So, so we can't use our freedom as a launching pad, but this is kind of a, then how do we balance this? How do we understand this? So we established two weeks ago, we can't earn anything from God. We can't do it, and we don't have to earn anything from God. He's accepted us. He's accepted us into an adoptive relationship as his sons and his daughters. We've been brought into the family of Christ, and he's, he's brought us in, but this freedom then comes with responsibility. This is how we understand it. We can understand it. Uh, The late Dallas Willard said this. He was a theologian that I greatly enjoy reading. He says, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. 
It's important we understand that. We can't earn grace. We can't earn salvation. But it does not exclude effort. We don't just receive grace and then stop, as Paul says, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We don't just throw on the brakes and say, well, that's taken care of and continue in the, our life as normal. Um, there's, a, there's a transition that happens. Read Philippians 2.12. So uh, it's like this. When I first got my driver's license, for one, my permit was really cool. That was fun. But I always had mom and dad in the car next to me. And, but I remember the day that I had my license and I said, I'm going to go to the store. And I got in the car by myself and that was a weird feeling. And as I drove out of the neighborhood, I was like, this is a f- feeling of freedom I've never had before. This is wild. And it was so cool having the freedom of my driver's license. The, I could go anywhere as, uh, on $10 worth of gas. You know, I, it just was an amazing feeling. But let me tell you, with that freedom comes an immense amount of responsibility, doesn't it? There's an immense uh, new level of responsibility of watching out. You're now driving a two-ton hunk of steel at speed down a road. There's other lives that are out there. There's, there's all this responsibility that comes with that freedom that's been given to me. In the same way, we've been given freedom through Christ, but we cannot neglect the responsibility that we have that comes with that freedom to live righteously. And this is not something that we can just achieve in and of ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it of our own effort alone. In this relationship, we're not just being saved from the penalty of sin, but we are also being saved from the power of sin. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. Sometimes people hold on to the gospel because it's, I just don't want to go to hell. God, keep me out of hell. And that's great. But also the power of God is to set us free from the power of sin. Oh, come on, church. I'm preaching this morning. We've been set free from the power of sin. I've heard it said this way. Stop trying and start relying. Sometimes we try and we try and we try not to sin. We try and we try and we try. How many of us have ever tried really hard to be a good person? Then we're like, man, I'm a real stinker. There's so much effort we can put into it, but it's when we stop trying and start relying on the power of God that things start to change and transition. It's when we rely on the power of God that we can be overcomers in this world and in this life. And this is the point of the letter. First of all, the point of Paul's letter is this. It's freedom. We talked about this last week. The point is freedom. But here is the goal. To serve one another in love. The point is freedom. The goal is to serve one another in love. You say, that doesn't sound like it's connected to anything we're talking about. Well, here's where the transition point is for Paul. Because he's talking about this freedom we have. And now he's talking about how we live that out in liberty. But there's something going on. Because the, these, these other people had come in and started kind of stirring things up with, these are the ways you need to serve God correctly. This new legalism was rising up in the church. And Paul was addressing this. So it's a balance of our freedoms and the liberties that come with that and living it responsibly. But also... Serving each other in love. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Read this with me. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity. We just read this, right? For the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you were counting words, but that was more than one word. The word is love. The word is love. It's all summed up here. See, this, this verse that he references, love your neighbor as yourself, comes from the book of Leviticus. And it's further referenced by Jesus later in Matthew chapter 22. This is the, the if you want to summarize all the law, all the things, it, it's in this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do those things, you will not sin. If you want to follow all the laws, 
follow that one law, and all the others will fall into place. I love God with every portion of my being. And it's followed with this, love your neighbor as yourself. And it comes down to love. Our goal is not just the pursuit or the attainment of personal perfection. Sanctification is not something we accomplish individually, but it's a shared journey as we walk together in the way of Jesus. Paul doesn't just give us directions for how to follow Jesus' individual disciples. But in this section, he dives down and he focuses on how we live together as community. How we live together as a people of God, not just individuals on our own individualistic journeys. We, we, in Western culture, we're highly individualistic. We're highly, this is me, this is what I do, um, all these things. But let me tell you, we are communally walking towards Christ together. And so this is what Paul is talking about. God's purpose was to establish through Jesus and then build upon the apostles a community of peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, who believe in the good news of the gospel and then walk in his ways together. This was the purpose of Jesus establishing his church. And there is power in community. There is power in unity. I'm going to take a quick poll. Overall, this is overall, which do you prefer watching on TV? Team sports or individual sports? Overall. Most people would say team sports. Some people love tennis. Some people love golf. I enjoy a good nap too. But... For the most part, globally, you talk about soccer, you talk about American football, you talk about basketball, you talk about baseball. These are team sports. Why are they engaging? Why are they enthralling? Why do people enjoy taking part in them? Because there's power in unity. There's power in us, not just me. There's, there's something that draws us to that. There's, there's something that's powerful there. But then Paul warns that community about something. What does he say? Look at verse 15. He says, But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So he, he, he starts this, this by talking about we need to build each other up in love. Love, 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 love. It's all summed up in love. But don't bite and devour each other. And here's where the legalism ties in. It's like the story of a, a zookeeper who dropped a rabbit into a terrarium of snakes. And two snakes grabbed on one each on each end. And one gobbled his end up, but then just kept going and consumed the other snake. That, I have that picture. That was where that comes in. So where it consumes the other snake. Just keeps going. In the same way, it, 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 it's just like we, we, we consume one another. For, for wolves or coyotes to agitate or be a threat to sheep, that's not strange. There's, there's shepherds and, and uh, uh, cowboys. You can go to the next slide. It's horrifying people now. There's shepherds and cowboys and people whose job it is to protect flocks, right? To protect herds from those things. But for sheep to attack one another is unnatural. For sheep to be a threat to one another's lives is unnatural. And Paul is warning not about wolves entering the flock, but suggesting that they themselves are the wolves attacking one another. The Bible tells the story, and it's a history, of human conflict. I mean, you can't get three chapters into Genesis before conflict begins. For those of you that started the Bible journey with us, reading through the Bible this year, man, day two, you're like, man, things are really taking a turn south. The enemy comes in, there's disagreements, there's, there's murder that happens in the first five chapters. All these things begin to just unravel. Now we live in a conflict zone. This conflict changed the course of history. Conflict is all around us. 
Not a day goes by that we don't struggle with the pain of conflict. It could be at the level of a disagreement with a loved one, a spouse, a child, your parent, whatever it might be, a classmate. It could be outright war, which we see around our world right now. Or it could be just the relentless advance of weeds in your backyard. We deal with conflict all the time. We face conflict on a regular basis. And out of all the expressions of human community, think about all the different types of community there are. There's family communities, school communities, work communities, all these different communities that exist. The church is regarded as a sanctuary of peace with Jesus as its head and its king. Jesus said in John 13, 35, that the identifying hallmark would be love for one another. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If you want the world to know who you are, it will show by what? Your love. This is going to be the defining mark in my community that I'm establishing, your love for one another. And so there are, let me tell you, some battles that are necessary and they have to be fought. But one that should have no place in the body of Christ is conflict that arises within the family between those who are blood-bought children of God. Bickering, biting one another, backstabbing. Just like domestic disputes are among the most painful things to experience in life in general. I've walked with families and known personal friends that have walked through domestic violence and domestic family disputes. Those are some of the most painful. Do you know why? The family is where there should be the most safety. The family is where you should have reprieve from the world around you. The family is where it should be the safe place where you can have support and and be truly yourself. And that's why domestic uh, brokenness is some of the most painful because that's where you should be safe. And in the same painful way, disputes that spoil the harmony of God's family are devastating. That's devastating. Um, This biting and devouring and destroying of one another comes by which way? It comes through the legalism through which Paul is combating. This is what the rest of this is about. Sometimes we think that Paul's talking about other things in this area. Let me tell you, this is all connected to the legalism that he was addressing before. Where we have the high road and it's us versus them. They are clearly messing up. They celebrate this holiday. They disgust me. They dress this way. What is their problem? They drink this, they eat that. Not much has changed in the last 2,000 years. Legalism always brings a self-righteousness and a judgmental spirit. There are many things that come naturally to us. We don't have to think about breathing. We don't have to think about blinking our eyes. Now you're thinking about those things. Everybody's like very consciously like, whoa, my eyes are blinking. We don't have to think about those things. They just happen. But let me tell you, also, things that very, come very natural to us is being judgmental. It's second nature. I evaluate people on a constant basis, especially your driving. And I'm the worst driver out there, probably. But I'll still judge you. I'll still judge you. We just have this natural tendency. And Paul saw this threat even beginning to happen, perhaps, in this church. And he wanted to warn them to watch out. Watch out. You're fighting, arguing, and feasting on your brothers and sisters in Christ because so often we feel, I think we feel justified in doing so. I am fighting on the behalf of the Lord for this situation. I am doing this for His honor. I am I'm doing this because I, I need to criticize them. And let me tell you, it's a very sneaky thing because in our heads and even in our hearts, to us, it comes from a place of caring. I'm like, I care about them, so I need to tell someone about this, someone about this. I care about them, so I'm going to just share this this tasty morsel. In tearing them down, we can tend to be critical of the most trivial things 
or things we just have, honestly, no business being involved with. Like I mentioned, the way they dress or the things they post on Instagram or how frequently they post on Instagram, the way they raise their kids, what kind of car they're driving, even where they went on their last vacation because you know what, that they're in debt. You know the job they have. I am preaching this, by the way, not from the choir loft. I am receiving this. You see, Paul says you're fighting and arguing and you're feasting on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know how to destroy something that's absolutely beautiful? It's to criticize it. How do we tear down the beauty and the unity and the love in the community of Christ? It's to find something to criticize. It's really difficult for a local church to make progress when there's consistent strife and self-righteousness and perpetual criticism that exists within that body. Who would want to step out and risk something if they know that criticism is right around the corner from what they're about to do? Someone's going to pick at it. Someone's going to say it wasn't done right. Who, who could feel at very least that they could be vulnerable to a church community and open about what's going on in their life if they feel judgment was the response that was waiting for them? This is the danger that Paul was seeing. And there's, let me tell you, there's no spiritual gift of criticism. I've looked it up. I couldn't find it anywhere. In devouring one another, let me tell you, everyone loses. Because it's not devouring just one, it's devouring one another. There's always that bigger fish and sometimes we just devour each other. We defend our position by saying it's because we care. But truly, caring comes with the intent of the best for the other person, isn't it? Is sharing something with somebody else about another individual truly caring about that individual? Is it looking out for their best interest? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think there's just something that in us that likes to be ahead of the curve on some juicy information, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Dan Lanning, there was rumors going that he was going to go to Alabama and uh, be the coach there. And oh my, did the rumor mill begin, right? And one of our local reporters, sports reporters... Put out there, and this became a national thing. Dan Lanning's jet has been tracked to Alabama. He's in Tuscaloosa right now. The thing was, no one ever said that, and that wasn't true. And he came under a lot of fire for that because he was a news person posting things that are not factual. That he had no sources, no facts on it. Let me tell you, we like to hear things and be the first out because then it shows we're on the inside. It shows, us, shows that we're valuable. I'm valuable. I have information. Let me tell you, when we want to be able to share something about somebody else, it's so tempting. It makes us feel like we have a place there. But let me tell you, it's destructive. And, and so we need to guard what we share and what we, what we... Are we truly looking out for the better of the individuals? And Paul gives very clear dis- ex- explanation here. We'll talk about it in a minute on how we truly care for that person. But let me just... I want to just say this. This is, come, this is a very hard word. This is a very uh, intense thing. But I want to just say we have a wonderful community here at New Life Church. I, I have not seen this as a pervasive issue that needs to be confronted. And I'm not confronting it from the pulpit because, like, somebody needs to deal with this, you know? Uh, it's, as, it's a warning as Paul was sharing. It's a warning as Paul was sharing. Uh, this ice storm was a, a reminder to me. I, I added this to my notes on sa- Saturday night. I went to bed. And I thought, we're probably going to have to cancel church tomorrow. It's going to be you know, pretty slippery out there. That was my thought. It's going to be slippery out there. Not realizing that on Monday morning I was going to wake up and our neighborhood did not look the same way it looked on Saturday night. It literally is a different world. Trees are just gone. 
the, the landscape, you look out, and I can see things that I didn't even know were beyond those trees. And, and it's just a different world. And how quickly, in just a matter of hours, things can go from beauty and things that have taken years to build up are suddenly gone. Think about that in context of the body of Christ. Things can be a healthy, thriving church, but it only takes a moment for something insidious to spread and to destroy something beautiful that's been growing, that God's been doing in the body. So we need to guard ourselves. We need to protect what God is doing. And so it's so how quickly one season of devastation can destroy a thriving community of faith. But what is the antidote then? This is what Paul starts it off with. The antidote is this word, love. This one word he said, but then he followed it with seven words. This one word is love. The simplicity of our calling as followers of Jesus is to love one another. Galatians 5, 13 End of 13 through 14, he says, So don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is referencing one of the oldest laws which I talked about. But here's the deal. Love for one another is the antidote for the cannibalistic, self-righteous, and judgmental spirit that seeks to destroy the church and our relationships and our witness. The law of love compels us to serve and love others. One way to assess someone's relationship to God is to see how they treat other people and speak of other people. Some people can quote scripture upside down and backwards and know the Bible inside and out, but how do they speak of other people? That's a way we can discover true maturity in Christ and wholeness in Christ. See, how we speak really speaks a lot. We can only filter what comes out of our mouth for so long. I can tell you. We can only filter it for so long. And then something comes out and you're like, I don't know where that came from. I do. Um, eventually, it's going to reveal what we say is going to reveal where the headwaters of the source of the words that are coming out of our mouth are from. Proverbs ten eighteen says, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. That's interesting. Didn't Jesus say that if you even hate someone in your heart, that's the same as murder? Whoever's concealing hatred, it says that this has lying lips. So they're speaking one thing, but something else is living inside. And whoever utters slander is a fool. You see, this is a heart issue. It's not about what we can control or filter in the external expression. It's a heart issue. So to the church community in Rome, Paul gave this instruction, which ties in with what he was telling to the Galatians church. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, if any, or if another believer is overcome by some sin, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I jumped ahead. Romans 12, 9 and 10, he said this, So don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Wow. That is a different take. What if it's someone that you don't like all the decisions they made? Can you still honor them? Can you take delight in honoring them? Do we not just pretend to love others but truly love them? Does it come through sacrificially? Paul gives directives, like I've mentioned just now, in Galatians chapter 6, in the next chapter, on how we're to deal with things. If we see things that are incongruous, remember, we talk about, there's, there's, we live uh, in freedom, but at the same time, it comes with responsibility. What happens if we see a brother or sister who's not living responsibly towards righteousness and falling into sin like we were talking about? Is this where the legalism comes in and we start telling them they need to straighten up and we're going to bring other people around them and make them feel like fools and idiots and we're going to cast them out? What does Paul say? How do we address this? If it's true love, what do we do? 
Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, doesn't say start a good rumor mill. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, I've read some different scholars who say this could be talking about the very same sin they were in, or it could be the sin of self-righteousness after correcting a brother or sister. Glad I'm not dealing with that. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey. So if you see your brother or sister in sin and it comes from a genuine place of love for them and care, we don't go to other people and share about our concern for the things that they are doing. We don't start a prayer committee for the things we're watching play out. We go to them and gently and humbly help that person onto the right path. We shoulder one another's burdens. I heard one person say it as we get down into the, into the pit with them. We say, come on, let's go. Let's, let's get back on the right path. We don't have any idea of how God can use one word of encouragement to change a life. As opposed to where we're talking about all this negativity and backbiting and tearing each other down. What could a word of encouragement do to change a life? Or when you speak blessing into the lives of others, how God can build them up. Proverbs is full of verses on this. In Proverbs 15.4, it says, gentle words are a tree of life. The word gentle there is actually translated as healing words. Healing words are a tree of life. Proverbs 12.18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise. To hear. Let, me, let me tell you, that, that don't stroke your own ego so that you can share something about somebody else. Silence the gossip, the voices bent towards creating dissension. And also take honest evaluation. For some of us, we need to ask this question, am I the problem? This can happen to anybody. I think sometimes as Christians, we think the greatest threat to the church is a frontal assault by Satan. That he's going to come in like a flood. You know, we read that and that, that we need to just be ready to, to repulse Satan. But I think he would want to create confusion and dissension within the ranks first. That's the easiest. Allow the church to destroy themselves. In 1788, the Austrian army was at war against uh, the uh, Ottoman Empire. And the Austrians were getting ready to fight. But uh, uh, at one point, a group of Austrian soldiers went to look for alcohol. And they stumbled upon a detachment of friendly troops. But there was miscommunication and language barriers. And they were fighting over the alcohol. And so chaos ensued. And it triggered a panicked uh, fight and a retreat that spread through the army. And it created such a disarray that the next day the Ottomans came in. And they didn't even have to fight the, the Austrians. And completely destroyed themselves in the meantime. And I think if there's anything we need to be watching for, yes, the enemy, but also watch within our own selves. Am I tearing people down? Am I being destructive? Am I being one who's like a Judaizer, bringing in uh, a level of righteousness I expect from someone and not holding them solely accountable to God and walking with them towards righteousness, encouraging them, loving them towards righteousness, speaking life into people, walking in humbleness with them. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Let's be people of life today. As we go today, let's speak life. Before you leave this building, will you find someone and speak life to them today? Let it be the start of something where you say, I'm going to be a life giver, not someone who takes life like a vampire in order to build myself up, to give myself life. Let's be a people that show and express the same grace that we ourselves received from Jesus. And now let's give that grace to one another.
And let it be, as Jesus said, a witness to the world around us that they will know us by our love. Amen? Let the world know us by our love. Let's show that love, express that love, live that love together. Let's stand together as we close today. Lord Jesus, I pray for your church today. As we receive this word, which is in many ways a hard word because I have been convicted of so many conversations I've had that to myself feel like I'm, I'm caring about someone or I'm, I'm, I'm just letting some steam off about a situation, but it has been destructive. God, I pray that we would be people of life-giving words, that grace would exude from our lives, from our lips, that we would lift one another up, that we would not allow the enemy to have a foothold to take us back into the bondage of the law by our legalism and the things that we would hold others to. But Jesus, that we would encourage one another in gentleness and humbleness, bringing them back to the path of life, Lord, that we would pursue you as a community, not just as individuals on our own sanctification journeys, but as a community of faith walking towards the author and the perfecter of that faith. And we thank you for it, Jesus. In your righteous and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. New Life Church, have a blessed, blessed day. If there is anything we can do for you as we continue through this storm. If you are still without power or need water or anything else, please let us know. Let us know at the Connection Center or Hosanna at the NLC Hub. We want to be able to serve you and help you. So let us know. God bless you. Have a blessed week.